We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. I'd like you to look at Mark in chapter 11. Uh, We are looking at the Passion Week of Jesus. The one week from Sunday until Sunday, from the triumphal entry on a Sunday until Resurrection Sunday. From Palm Sunday until Easter Sunday is a seven-day period, technically maybe an eight-day period, Sunday till Sunday, on where you see Jesus rejected, betrayed, suffering, dying, and rising. Matthew, 40% of the Gospel of Matthew is on that last week. Mark, 40% of Mark is on that last week. Uh, Luke, 25% of Luke is on that last week. And John... John's a 21-chapter book. The Passion Week begins in chapter 12. It's half the book is on the Passion. The New Testament doesn't ever let you think that the betrayal, rejection, suffering, and death of Jesus is merely the last thing on his ministry. It's not the last domino to fall. It is the central thing that all of his ministry has led up to. And from Christ on, it is all that the New Testament calls you back to. It's the vortex of the Bible is Calvary. And so the Bible gives you, that's why it gives you 40% of his life is on this last week. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem is mentioned Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, It is the purpose of his life is to die. Uh, the triumphal procession begins, we'll look at it in Mark in chapter 11, verse 1. And now let me just walk you through it to understand this most important part of his life. He approached Jerusalem. He has avoided Jerusalem for one year because there were plots on his life. And he would not go to Jerusalem because it was not his time. He says seven times in the Gospel of John, uh, his hour had not yet come. In John 17, in Gethsemane, he weeps and he prays and he says, Father, the hour has come. He was the lamb to be slain. Behold, the lamb of God that bears away the sins of the world. He was born among the Migdal eater of Bethlehem with shepherds watching over their flocks by night, raising animals that would be sacrificed in Jerusalem. And that's where he was born. And so he is the Lamb of God. And so he comes to Jerusalem. And he comes to Jerusalem at Passover. Passover is the day commemorating when the Lamb died and by his shed blood released the nation from the bondage of the enemy. And that is the day that Jesus Christ will die in Jerusalem at Passover. And so he has, if you want to call it a date with destiny, He does. He's going to celebrate the Lord's, the Last Supper, which is really a misnomer. It's the last Passover. It's the first communion. Passover is going to evolve into the Lord's Supper. It will not be take this animal and eat it. It will be, this is my body, which is for you. This is my blood, the cup of redemption that is poured out for you. The lamb morphs into the lamb of God. Only Christ could say those words. Uh, Over the break, my wife and I vacationed, and we took 
time of just resting. We get up, eat, then take a nap from the exertion, um, go walk and come back, nap, and we would binge. Have y'all ever heard of Roku? It's a marvelous thing. And I was watching Alfred Hitchcock. Buddy, are you with me? Alfred Hitchcock presents. And you see that silhouette that only one man in history could make that silhouette, that shadow, you remember? And you wait until he walks into it. And now we know the king has arrived. The only man that can say this has arrived. The Old Testament was a silhouette of somebody, and only one man can step in there. They said to John the Baptist, are you the Christ? He said, I am not. I am the forerunner of him, because that's what the Old Testament prophets are. And so this is, and this is something the Holy Spirit has never heard said in a sermon. This is Hitchcock walking into his silhouette. The Holy Spirit just said, what? Yes. And so, Jerusalem at Passover, the Lamb has arrived in a way that in the Old Testament is given uh, to a perfect sacrifice to God. You don't know what I meant right there, but hang on. I'll show you. He comes in verse 2, uh, or rather, let's see, verse 1, near the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a ridge that runs on the outside the eastern wall of Jerusalem. Uh, Nate, you got a picture there? That's the, you're looking from the Mount of Olives. You see those trees in front of you? They are, some of them are olive trees that have been growing a long time. It's also called Gethsemane. And when you walk down this ridge, it goes down into a little valley that's right in front of you. And it's called the Kidron Valley. And then it rises up and it goes to an elevated place that's called the city of God. And there is the eastern wall of Jerusalem. And you see that little dark space from the left of the wall and you move up and there's kind of a dark space there. It's believed that that was the eastern gate that the king would enter through. The city has been destroyed and built up over and over so that the original wall is down below the, the line of the ground. It's below it. Uh, they would love to dig down there and find the archaeological stuff, but it's real dangerous to take a shovel around that wall, all right, because it's such a contended place. But this is where Jesus, there's a little village just out behind us that is called Bethany, and you go down that uh, down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, and then you rise up and you go into that eastern gate. And that is very important that he goes through the eastern gate. And I'll show you why. Um, go, go to your left, past the prophets, and go to the book of Ezekiel and chapter 11. Ezekiel is a book that is written. There were three deportations of Israel from the land into Babylon. Ezekiel went on the second uh, deportation, and he is a prophet to the Jew in Babylon. He's not in Jerusalem. And he is prophesying to the Jews that are still in Jerusalem that have not repented. They really believe that there is no way that that city can fall 
they will say, we are the meat and the city is the pot. That it's an iron protection of us because we are Jews that we can't be judged. And Ezekiel says, yes, you can. And he is calling to the Jews in the city to come out and to come to Babylon and to escape the judgment, that the judgment of God is coming. And he has a vision in chapter 11. And in verse 22, he watches God leave the city. Do you all remember whenever the Ark of the Covenant is captured in the book of Samuel and it is taken to the Philistines and they called it something? Remember the name? Ichabod. The glory has departed. Well, this is the ultimate Ichabod. That in verse 22, he sees a vision of angels. The cherubim lifted up their wings with wheels beside them of the throne of God. And the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. When you think of the Shekinah, what do you think? That's the presence of God in the temple. And we're seeing something happen here. The presence of God is raising up and it's about to go somewhere. And verse 23, the Shekinah, the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is what direction? East. East of the city. In other words, it goes out to the east through the eastern gate. That is how God departs to the Mount of Olives. Well, there's still a future for Israel. If you'll look at Ezekiel 43, in Ezekiel 43, it looks past the coming judgment and of someday there being a hope for Israel. And that hope is the coming of Messiah. And if you'll look in chapter 43 and verse 1, after chapter 42, he describes the dimensions of the millennial temple when Messiah will return. And in chapter 43, verse 1, here we see the coming, the return of God to his people someday. He led me to the gate, and the gate faced toward the east. It's the eastern gate. The same place God departed from, he is going to return through. And in verse 2, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters and the earth shone with his glory. Uh, and verse 4, the glory of the Lord came into the house, the new temple, by the way of the gate facing toward the east. God leaves through the eastern gate and he returns through the eastern gate. Uh, that is about to happen. Christ is about to enter through the eastern gate, the way of the glory of God. And what is sad is that he's going to come looking for repentance. And instead, he's going to find a fig tree, the symbol of Israel, and he will look for the first fig of the spring and find nothing. He'll find nothing but leaves. When he came into Jerusalem, what were people waving? palm branches. There was leaves that they put in front of him. He comes to the fig tree and there's nothing but leaves. There's religion 
but there is no life. He goes into the temple, and what does he find? My father's house is called a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's cave. And then Jesus exits through the eastern gate and goes to stay in the place that he has received, the place of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and that is where he will stay. It's almost like coming to the inn, being refused by the people, and going to a cave. And so he will go to where he is received. And after he leaves, we're going to see him weeping in Gethsemane, east of the gate. Then we will see him arrested in Gethsemane. We will see him brought back in and put to death. We will see him rise from the dead and go now to a new people that will bear fruit, the church. Is Christ coming back? Yes, he is. You know where he's coming? In, John, in Acts chapter 1, he's on the Mount of Olives, and he rises into the air, and he ascends to glory. And the disciples just look, and an angel speaks to them, and he says this, You men of Galilee, why are you gazing into the air? This same Jesus will return to you the same way as he left. Where are they standing at? Mount of Olives. Anybody know from the book of Zechariah where Christ is coming back to? The Mount of Olives. And so he that is going to leave will someday return to the Mount of Olives. So if you were a Jew and you read Mark chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, that is very significant. Jerusalem at Passover through the eastern gate. That's when and where Messiah comes. Well, are you with me so far? All right. If you'll look at verse 2, somebody's going to get a lot of press right here. Go into the village opposite you that's called Bethany, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat, and untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he'll send it back. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside the street. They untied it. Some of the bystanders said, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke as the Lord had told them, gave them permission, and they brought the colt to Jesus, put their coats on it, and he sat on it. This is the most famous darn animal in the Bible. We don't even know his name. All right. I think it's Shrek. I think that's what it was, uh, it was called. But we get like seven, eight verses on this nameless cult. It's interesting. Jesus comes into the world to be born with his mother on a donkey. He leaves the world coming in on a donkey. And so why is this? Well, if you were a Jew, you're looking for this as you read. It has to be here because it's prophesied. Do you know that? 500 years earlier, it was prophesied that when Messiah comes, he's not just going to be on a donkey. He's going to be on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And to prove that, you're going to have to put mama donkey right next to him. So people can look and say, this is the colt, the foal of a donkey. Where does he get this? It's in Zechariah chapter 9. So go there. Let's take a trip. Go past... Hi, Debbie. Go past uh, 
Malachi, Malachi, the great Italian prophet. And then keep going to Zechariah chapter 9. And in Zechariah 9, Israel is out of the land. They're in captivity to the Babylonians who are going to be taken over by the Persians. Now, do you remember your history when you were sleeping through it in high school, being taught by an offensive coordinator? <laughs> do you remember whenever the Persians conquer the Babylonians, and now Israel is under Persian rule. And it's under Persia that a guy named Ezra and then a guy named Nehemiah bring back all the refugees. God said, you'll be there for 70 years and I'll bring you back. And uh, who was it that conquered the Persians in the intertestamental period and made Israel one of the vastest states? Who conquers the Persians. You ever seen the movie that was called uh, The 300? The Greeks do. And the greatest of all kings that dominated Israel was Alexander the Great. He dies at 33. Starts his rule at about 30. Dies at 33. Never married. Does that sound like a king you know of? He started his ministry at 30, died at 33, never married, and was the ruler of the world. He is, Alexander the Great is the parallel of Jesus. Alexander the Great rode a white steed. Now, if you can guess this, Curtis Elder is going to give you his home. Okay. <laughs> He rode a white horse. What was the white horse? Don't look at your phones. <laughs> that Alexander rode. Going once, going twice. Bucephalus. Who said that? Frisk him for a phone. Curtis? Bucephalus. He rode a white stallion. Now watch this. In chapter 9, verse 1, we're going to walk down the geography of a reinstituted Israel in the intertestamental period, and we're going to watch their enemies get judged. In verse 1, Damascus. What is Damascus the capital of? Damascus of Syria, the Syrians. Well, here comes uh, Alexander. And in verse 3, who do we hit there? Tyre and Sidon, the Phoenicians, were coming right down the eastern, western coast of Israel, right down the Mediterranean. And then in verse 5 is the, Phil the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron. Verse 6, Ashdod. We're hitting the major Philistine cities. And that's just what Alexander the Great did. Incidentally, Zechariah is prophesying this. Do you know how long it will be until Alexander the Great is even born? It's 200 years before he's even born. And we're watching his life. In verse 
um, 8, we're now moving. And if you're a Jew and you're reading this, you're going Syria, Phoenicia, Philistia. Guess who's next? It's like, here comes the enemy. Wichita Falls, Gainesville, Crum. Who's next? Denton. Well, Damascus, Phoenicia, Philistia, Jerusalem. And so you're reading. <laughs> and in verse 8, what's the first word in verse 8? But, but, something contrary that you think is about to happen. Alexander the Great is not going to get into Jerusalem. But I will camp around my house, meaning Jerusalem, because of an army, because of him. Who do you think the him is? It's Alexander the Great. He passes by and returns. He's not going to fight a battle. We know historically what happened. Josephus tells us, the historian of the time. He came to the city and the high priest of Israel came out to meet him. And he said, how's about you not sack us? And he said, as a matter of fact, could I show you where God shows who you are? How would you like to have somebody show you where you are in the Bible? And he turned him to Daniel chapter 7. He said, that's you. The large horn, the first king, that's you. And then he showed him Zechariah, that's you. And he was so awed by that that he decided, I do not want to mess with these people. And he passed by and he returned. Well, in verse 9, God says to Israel, here's your king. I've got a king for you, and here he is. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Normally, when you get a new politician, you don't rejoice. I'll just leave that right there. <laughs> You're going to rejoice greatly. You're going to shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, what are the next two words? Your king is coming to you, and he is a far cry from Alexander or Antiochus IV, or uh, Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, or Nebuchadnezzar. He's a far cry from these guys. He is just. He's righteous. And he is endowed with salvation. He doesn't bring death. He brings life. He's a deliverer. And he is humble. You can bring your little kid to him. You can be a, a harlot and come to him in repentance. You can be a tax collector. You can be anybody. You can be Simon the Zealot, and he'll put you on his force. This fellow is humble, and he is mounted on a donkey, not Bucephalus. He's riding a donkey. Put down the word, you go the most disgusting car that's ever been invented right there. If you'd like to put down an Edsel, feel free. Okay. He's going to be riding on the, not just a donkey, but you see the next line? A colt, the foal of a donkey. You know why we're going to have the colt, the foal of a donkey? Because let's go back here to Mark 
chapter 11 and verse 2. You'll find a colt there. This is a baby donkey. And no one has ever sat on him. Untie him because he hadn't learned to stay at home. And so this, we're going to see him with his mama. This is a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's not just a donkey. It's the lowest form of a donkey, a little colt. Now, something you might try, I want you to do this when you go home. I want you to find a colt, the foal of a donkey, and I want you to jump on him. And I want somebody to film it. Okay. We're going to put it on America's Funniest Home Fundamentalist. Okay. He's going to throw you on your lips. This donkey, no one's ever set, and this king will sit on him, and the creature will go completely submissive. Where is it in the Bible that a man is told to rule over the animals that they will be put in submission under his feet? It's Adam. This is the last Adam. This donkey knows his king. And mama's going to be right there with him. So you see, it's not just a donkey. It's the colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a humble man. And also, do y'all remember in Israel, in the book of Numbers, you have all the nation above 20 is dying in the wilderness. Whenever they died, they would touch unclean things. So you had to have a sacrifice for uncleanness to make you socially able to return to the nation after you had the funeral. And they took a red heifer. And it was a heifer on which, and I quote, a yoke had never set. It's not a throwaway animal. This is an animal with nothing but possibilities. It is a clean, pure animal. No one has ever plowed with this animal. Kill it. Cremate it. Take the ashes, put them in water. And now this animal that was a sacrifice can now be applied to make you ceremonially clean. Whenever in Israel you have a murder occur and you find a guy outside the city and you don't know who murdered him, the city that is the closest to him, the elders will come and they will take uh, an animal of which a yoke has never been placed. No one has ever said it's the best and you will sacrifice it. And now you can wash your hands. The leaders can wash their hands and say, we had nothing to do with this. That's how detestable God sees murder in a city. If I can't find the perpetrator, I have to have an atonement, lest I come to curse the land. And then, do you remember when the Philistines hijacked, they, they conquered Israel and they hijacked the Ark of the Covenant? And they took it back in the book of Samuel to put in the temple of their God as a trophy. And when they put it back, God slapped the city with mice and rats to eat the grain. And it said people were covered with hemorrhoids. That's a bad deal right there. You, know? you think COVID's bad. You get slapped with hemorrhoids. And uh, one city said, man, this is awful. Let's, let's send it to another city. That makes sense. If we're getting hemorrhoids in Dallas, let's send it to Fort Worth. And the same thing happened. Then they sent it over to Frisco, then to McKinney. Every place they sent it got judged. And finally, somebody said, this is God judging us for our disrespect. 
let's send this thing back to the people. They said, we need to have a way to where we know it's God and not just happenstance. Let's take the ark and put it on a cart. And then let's hitch up two cows to it on which a yoke has never been placed. They have no experience pulling carts. And let's make sure that they're milk cows and they're nursing their young, their little calves. Let's take the calves away from them. And then let's see if they'll head on a strange way out of Philistia to a place they've never been to, Judea. And let's see if they will go unnaturally away from their calves. And then let's see that they won't depart the road to go graze for food for their children to make milk, but they will go lowing as they went. They will go under pain. And they will go all the way to Judea without having an ark, I'm sorry, without having a yoke on them, going away from their babies and not eating grass as they go. We'll know that this is the dominance of God over the creation. And those cattle went and pulled it right back hit the blinker, went off the road, right over to a place, and they stopped, and they took the animals, they sacrificed them, they used the cart as wood, and that became a sacrifice for God. And so the idea of an animal on which no one has ever set is means that you are giving to God, not a throwaway, but your best animal as a sacrifice. And so what is this little colt? He is bearing on his back a sacrifice. Who is the sacrifice? Jesus. And so, he says, why does this cult have to have a certain, this, we have to have a certain cult? As you enter the city, you'll find a cult. How does Jesus know? He's God. And he'll be tied there. How does Jesus know? He's God. And on which no one has ever set. How does Jesus know? He's God. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says, why are you doing it? You say, the Lord has need of it. Question, who is the Lord? Context, Jesus. And immediately he will send it back. How does he know someone will challenge it? How does he know that if you say this, he'll send him back? Because he's God. From the Alpha to the Omega. He is God. And in verse 5, sure enough, bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the coat? They said, as Jesus told them, he gave them, they gave them permission and they brought the coat to Jesus and put their coats on it and he sat on it. Do y'all know, let's see, I'm going to give away this time, Jimmy Harris, his home and possessions. What king is it in the Old Testament that God ordains him a northern king. He doesn't lead a coup. God ordains him. Elisha sends a prophet and he anoints him. And he says, you are now the rightful king. You take over from the guy in place. And that king goes out and kills the northern king. Then he kills the southern king. And then he kills all their friends. And then he kills uh, the 70 sons of Ahab, beheads them, and puts their heads in baskets. Y'all ever seen the Hallmark movie on that? He cuts their heads off. And then, he's not finished yet. 
Some people come to visit the southern king and he kills them. And then he takes all the people to the north and he says, you know, this guy served Baal a lot, I'm, or a, a little, I'm going to serve him a lot. I want all the followers of Baal to come together to a party. And he got them all there. And in the middle of the party, he sent down his men on them. They killed the worshipers of Baal. They destroyed the city. And then he peed on it. That's a fact. He made it a latrine. Y'all seen that movie? That's how violently this man was in wiping out the enemy. Question, what kind of king did Israel want? That king. Acts 1, Lord, is it it now that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? I think Judas thought, if I can bring the army down on him, that he will wipe them out. But he didn't. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. They couldn't understand that this king has to die. Who was the king? What? Jehu. See Jimmy Harris after the service. He's a doctor. He's rich. He's going to give you everything. It's Jehu. The Jews would call him Yehu. Men in Denton call him Jehu. Okay. And so it's very significant because they took Jehu and they took off their garments and they put that on the animal and they mounted Jehu. They do it here because this is who they want. Y'all remember a guy named Samuel, he leads Israel against the Philistines and he never loses a battle. He calls the nation back to repentance and he restored the nation spiritually. And you know what Israel said? We don't want you for a king and we don't want your sons. We want a king like the Gentiles. We want a military man that will fight our battles. He was just too preachy. He was just too spiritual. We don't want him. It would be like if we had a president who said as his first act, I'm going to ask all the House and the, and the Senate to get on their face and pray and to confess our sins of perversion, abortion, and fornication. And we will seek the true, holy, infinite God of Israel. Wouldn't that be good? How long do you think he would live? about an hour. We don't want that kind of king. We want a king that will take away all moral responsibility for us and fight our battles and let a wicked people be wicked without ever suffering judgment. And that's why they got rid of Samuel. And God said, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so Israel wants Yehu. They don't want Samuel. And it says they spread their coats on the road and they cut leafy branches with which they had cut from the fields. Is there a festival in Israel where you take leafy branches and palm branches, you build lean-tos, and you remember God taking you out of Egypt through the wilderness journey where you lived in these lean-tos? You built little tabernacles to remember the deliverance of God. The name of that feast in the autumn is called the Feast of tabernacles. And so they said, let's get some leafy branches and remember when God led us into the promise, because that's what they want to happen right now. And verse nine, those who went in front and those who followed were shouting. 
Jesus is moving in this massive hundreds of thousands of people parade. It's like Elvis. It's like the Beatles in Dallas. There's a mob because they are thinking redemption has come. This guy raises the dead, which he just did to Lazarus. This guy walks on the water, turns water into wine, heals the, the lame, heals the sick, heals the deaf, heals the lepers. He, this guy is going to fix it. This guy speaks to the winds and the waves. And so they're bringing him in. And they're crying out in verse 9, Hosanna. You know what that means? It's an Aramaic word. It means save now. They want political deliverance. And then they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is from Psalm 118. Whenever David conquered his enemies and came into Jerusalem and instituted his rule. Why do they quote that? Because that's what they want to see happen. I want to see these Roman soldiers disintegrate. I want to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I want to see the kingdom of God established by this man who at Jerusalem at Passover came forward uh, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. This is him. We want to see it. How many people do you know of that become Christians and want immediately to get a brand new job, make their wife civil, lose that nagging 20 pounds. I want to raise, I want all these goodies right now. And if he doesn't do it, then I'm out of here. And that's what they wanted. Incidentally, what did Jesus do during this time? He did something that he only did three times in his ministry. As they're leading him into the town where you can barely make him out for the crowd, screaming and shouting. In Luke 19, 41, it said, Jesus wept. He cried. And so all of these happy people, there's one in the middle, and he's crying. And he says this, O Jerusalem, if you had understood the things that make for peace, but you didn't recognize them, the way you have peace in a country is that country being right with God. All they wanted was a genie that would give them immediate physical bounty. And, they, and Jesus wept because he knew that within seven days that crowd was going to say, crucify him. And so, in verse 11, he entered Jerusalem and came to the temple. What does he see? Is it repentance? No, they have turned the place of God into a, a robber's den. And so in verse 12, he's going to do a very significant act. He will come to a fig tree. Let me give you a little neat story. In the book of Hosea, it says, God says, when I saw your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I saw them as the first ripe fig of spring. The first ripe fig before all the fig tree began to bloom was called a taksh, T-A-Q-S-H. And it was a nodule that was sweet and it was called the first ripe fig. And when you saw it, that meant that winter was over and life has come. He said, I saw your fathers like the beginning of life and I came to you looking for the first ripe fig. What did Jesus find? Quote, a fig tree 
that had, in verse 13, he found nothing but, what's the word say? Leaves. When he came in Jerusalem, what did he get? Leaves. I came looking for repentance and all I found was religion, but I found no heart. And so now in verse 14, I have waited on you people for 1,700 years. That's how long it was between Moses and this event. And there has never been conversion. You gonna hear something cute? He did get a first ripe fig. When he went through Jericho, there was a sycamore fig tree. Around him were a bunch of people that just wanted to see power. He stopped at the base of that tree and he looked up in the fig tree and he found one ripe fig. A little IRS agent who's about 2-1. What was his name? Zacchaeus. You know what's funny? The word Zacchaeus is from the Hebrew word Zakai that means the righteous one. And he said, come down, Zacchaeus. I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus said, if I've stolen anything, I'll return it back four times and half my money I'll give to the poor. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he is a son of Abraham. I found one fig, Zacchaeus. Ain't that some? Well, he cursed them and today... No one has eaten fruit from Israel in 20 centuries. We're going to see in the rest of the text, the disciples said, what happened to this tree? Jesus didn't answer it in the negative, but in the affirmative. Have faith in God, unlike the nation. And when you pray, be forgiving. That's what I want is the love of God and the love of men. And you won't have to worry about withering anymore. What's the rest of it go? You're going to have to wait till next week. Don't die. Because you'll miss it. Let's celebrate communion. Father, for just a moment, we stop before we go home. And we remember the intrigue of Calvary, of how this Son of God became a Son of Man and bore our sin on the cross and satisfied the wrath of God and paid for the sin of man and built the bridge by which we could approach so that by your Holy Spirit you could open our hearts and draw us to yourself and we could be transferred from enemies to sons and daughters that you could abide within our heart and give us the assurance of eternal life. Thank you. Thank you for the evil of that week and that out of it you would bring something sweet. Like the riddle of Samson, out of something bitter came something sweet and out of the destroyer, a dead lion, came something to eat. Honey from the lion, we thank you. And pray, Lord, that you would uh, visit us as we draw near. In Christ's name.